We had a rain just uh, about an hour ago. So it's got this little creek uh, really flowing that normally doesn't flow that hard. It's kind of a small creek, probably about six or eight feet across at the most. But it's, um, it's really cool. It's full of water now. Check this out. Love that sound. That's a sound of a waterfall nearby that I know I can go photograph. Whether I'm out photographing or just stopping for a moment to enjoy the movement of water, a simple waterfall can be very captivating. Hi, I'm Terry Vanderheiden, your host of the Nature Photography Podcast. As many of you know, because of the years of California's drought, the state doesn't have too many offerings in the way of waterfalls. This winter season is starting to replenish some of those water resources, but we're still a ways off. In a typical year, even the spectacular and famous waterfalls of Yosemite National Park dissolve to barely a trickle by late summer. One September years ago, I was asked by a friend to make him a photograph of Nevada Falls, that resides near the top of the Mist Trail in Yosemite Valley. Nevada Fall is almost five and a half miles round trip, and you're tasked with traversing the Mist Trail full of switchbacks. These switchbacks weave in and out from the clouds of water that cover it in some places, generated from the first waterfall on that trip, Vernal Falls. Hence the name of the wet and winding trail, the Mist Trail. With almost 2,000 feet of climbing, it can take some time to make it past Vernal Falls and then all the way up to see Nevada Falls. Nevada Fall is aptly named because to exert the energy it takes to hike it, you kind of feel like you've had to travel to the next state over from California, which happens to be Nevada. I had to ask my friend before I left, are you sure you want a photograph of Nevada Falls and not Vernal Falls? hoping to make my journey half as long by just going up to Vernal Falls. Nope, the confirmation was clear. Nevada Falls was it. As it turned out, his son, who had recently passed away, loved going all the way up to Nevada Falls. It was also a place they both liked going to hike together. He wanted a photograph of Nevada Falls to remind him of his son. So what am I going to say? No? Yeah. In my infinite wisdom, I figured that this kind of request required me to take some of the best equipment I had at the time. And this was back in the film days before digital. So therefore, I had to take my 4x5 view camera. Now, if you don't know, a view camera is an old-timey camera that's kind of a boxy apparatus that has a lens on one side, then a large black set of bellows that goes between the lens and the back of the camera. The bellows act as kind of a lens barrel that attaches to the specialized piece of glass on the back of the camera. It's on this piece of glass that you focus and compose your image that's upside down to your view. I loaded my pack with the camera, which was about 10 by 12 inches of box camera. Added to that was a 20 inch rail system that the camera's bellows would ride on. The film I used was in the form of two sheets of low ISO black and white film 
per holder. So that meant packing several film holders. I had to bring a magnifying glass for composing the image on the 4x5 piece of glass on the back of the camera, as well as a black cloth that I needed to be underneath in order to block out any stray light so I could see what the heck I was doing. As a luxury, I also brought along a Polaroid back that allowed me to take 4x5 black and white test prints to confirm my composition and exposures. With all that, of course, I had to bring a few sheets of Polaroid film. As if that gear wasn't enough, this was a heavy rig, so I, an ordinary tripod wouldn't do. I needed a heavy-duty tripod, and I'm going to emphasize heavy. So there I was, mid-September, trudging my way up the mist trail with one backpack full of camera gear and my heavy-duty tripod sticking out of a backpack-style golf bag. I figured a golf bag would be an easy way of transporting that beast of a tripod. I was right about that part. Shoving the tripod into a golf bag was much easier than carrying the tripod on my shoulder. I also figured that the purest photographers along the trail would appreciate seeing me covered in a black cloth shooting landscape images, just like good old Ansel Adams did in Yosemite Valley way back when. I didn't get too many attaboys along the way, but I did get quite a few comments about the golf bag. People would stop me and say, Hey, how'd you do on the front nine? Or, What happened? Did you slice a ball up here somewhere? As they're looking around. And then some joker says, Hey, I saw a Titleist back there wedged between two granite rocks. Hey, that might be yours. Everybody wants to be a comedian. When I finally did make it up to Vernal Falls, I should have been clued into the water situation. While water was flowing over the falls, there wasn't much mist on the aptly named Mist Trail. Which, if I wasn't just head down trying to bulldog my way up the switchbacks, I would have realized that there wasn't nearly enough water in the streams that time of year. A couple of hours later, and another thousand feet higher, I came to Nevada Falls. My heart sank. The surging falls I'd imagined projected upside down in the ground glass plate on the back of my 4x5 camera were simply non-existent. There was no water going over those falls. There was way more fluid streaming down the back of my neck than tumbling over those falls. While I took a shot or two of the empty waterfall, I did learn a valuable California lesson. Don't plan on photographing waterfalls late in the year in this state. I did make it back up there the following springtime to get my friend his shot of Nevada Falls. Using the crisp, clean blacks and grays of a good black and white printing paper, I printed his wall print myself from the 4x5 negative I created. So it all worked out in the end, but it did take two trips since I didn't plan well. Do you struggle with getting sharp images? I'm talking about razor sharp images, ones where you can see all the hairs on that red fox you're photographing. If you want to learn more about getting razor sharp images, check out my ebook, Razor Sharp Nature Photography. It's sold exclusively at my website, imagelight.com. And that's spelled I M A G E L I G H D.com. Just go to the digital products page and download a copy for yourself. I built this ebook to be instantly downloaded so that you can read it on your computer, tablet, or phone. You can even take it with you when you go out shooting 
as there's no need for an internet connection once you have it downloaded on your device. I'll leave a link in the description of this episode's podcast so you can go over to my site and pick up your copy today. This year, since I knew that the waterfall photography was not very dependable in California, I decided to make my way up to the state that has plenty of water, Oregon. My excursion took me up Highway 5 that bisects the middle of the state just after I passed through Mount Shasta, I headed up 97 into Oregon. Now Lake Shasta is the largest reservoir in the state and millions of Californians depend on its water for agriculture, energy, and for consumption of water. It feeds the Central Valley Water Project, which includes 500 miles of canals throughout the state. So the health of Lake Shasta is critical to the water supply in California. As I drove over the lake heading into Oregon, the lake was down to 31% of its capacity. Not a good sign, but hopefully the current heavy rainfall we're getting now in California, at the time of this recording, will help replenish Lake Shasta and the other reservoirs throughout California in 2023. Southern Oregon was having their own water issues, but as I drove north, I could see the greenery start to emerge. Off of Highway 97, I took State Highway 138 to the west, and it became spectacular. My first stop was Clearwater Falls. Tall Douglas fir trees line the Clearwater River, and the water topples down the rocks of Clearwater Falls. They've built a nice viewing platform with benches so you can just sit there if you want to relax and take in the sights and just listen to the waterfall. While this is refreshing to feel the mist flow over you when it's warm outside, this isn't why I came all this way. I didn't come this way to just relax. No, I wanted to take some photographs of this place. For starters, I was using my Nikon Z9, and it went back and forth between two lenses. I used the 24-70 zoom lens and the 14-24 zoom lens. Attached to that, I used a polarizing filter as the first step in creating my images. So, well, actually, the first step is to re remove the UV filter that spends most of its time covering up the lens. I like to have a UV filter on my lens, especially when I'm shooting things like waterfalls. With waterfalls, there's always a mist flowing in the air, so the UV filter keeps the lens clean and dry while I'm setting up. Seldom do I shoot through the UV filter. It's just there for protection while I set up and get my composition the way I want it. When I'm ready, off it goes, and then the polarizer goes on to deepen the colors and cut reflections. If you'd like to see a complete video on how I use a polarizer filter, head over to my YouTube channel, and you can search for my name, Terry Vanderheiden. Or a simpler way is just to search for Photography TV 510. That's T as in Tango, V as in Victor, and the number 510. Photography TV 510. This will take you to my YouTube channel, where I have lots of videos up there to view. Check it out. If you like what you see, be sure to subscribe and get notified of my next video by clicking that little bell icon. The polarizer filter is part of the filter system I bought from Case, spelled K-A-S-E. This is a kit where you can thread on a magnetic ring onto your lens 
and then the filters just click into place with magnets. This is much more comfortable to use over water than trying to thread on a 112 millimeter filter each time. I also bought the step down ring so I could just buy one set of filters and it would work on my front element of my 24 to 70 lens. That way I'm not hauling around different size filters or buying a second set of filters. To go along with that, I have a set of a few neutral density filters. These I use to cut light so I can create a slower shutter speed if need be. It's a slower shutter speed that lets me get that blurry water in the cascade of water off a waterfall. On this particular morning, my shutter speed was around one and a half to three seconds in duration. For this kind of shooting, I'm always on manual exposure. This is my default for shooting landscapes since I want to have complete control over my images. A lot of times, once I found a setup, I'd shoot HDR, exposures two stops over, two stops under, and then exposure right on, to allow me to blend those together later if I need to. I would also many times do a landscape focus stack. This is where I focus on something very close in the foreground and set my Z9 on focus shift shooting and let the camera create a stack of images for me to blend later in the image stacking software. Doing this lets me shoot at a much wider aperture like f5.6 in order to, for me to stay away from the tiny f-stops like f18 and 22 where the image is not as sharp. Stacking these images that were all shot at f5.6 will yield an overall sharper image. I will also find that I'm creating focus stacked images that I also create in HDR. That way I have all my bases covered. Lastly, I do it all over again, only in vertical composition. I always have to remember to rotate my polarizer filter since I'm changing the orientation of the camera in the lens. A technique I like to use in these situations is to shoot a shot of my hand in the beginning of each set of images. Whether it be a stack or an HDR set, that way in Lightroom I can quickly see the beginning of every set of images. On this waterfall trip, I made my way down 138 and captured several different waterfalls along the way. This is a trip well worth taking. I hope you get a chance someday to just go out and find some waterfalls to shoot and if you ever find yourself in Oregon, go check out all the different options along Highway 138. Until next time, this is Terry Vanderheiden with the Nature Photography Podcast.